Good evening and welcome to Italian Impact Weekly. I'm your co-host Steve Stefano Mancini. And I'm Claudio Relsano and we appreciate you tuning in as always. What's going on Steve? Not much my friend, not much. Keeping busy um, now that fall, I know I keep saying fall is officially here, but fall is here when it's freaking cold in the morning and now I'm like alright. It's getting cold in the morning. I like it because I don't know when I got out of bed is the problem. I was like, I'm never in bed. Well, I went to bed early last I'm night, out. and I'm like tired. You know, so I go to sleep. I feel like I slept good. Then I wake up, and I'm like, man, I did not want to get out of bed. So I just yeah. get my workout. You can, I can prove it by showing you my belt. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it's been great. Uh, how are you guys doing? How's the team going? How's fall ball? Uh, how about those Mets? <laughs> <laughs> we had a tough season. We we did. But a good group of guys. You're not um, done yet, though. Yeah, we're done. We played oh. our last games uh, this past Sunday. Good group of guys, as always. I've been coaching 40 years. I. I I've always had good people to coach, and uh, it's going to happen. We didn't have the best of seasons, but we'll we'll come back in the spring and uh, go after it as we always do. As long as you learn from your mistakes, and the kids go back and work out, you know, between the seasons, yeah, and uh, think yeah. about it, and you know, not dwell on it, but think nah. about okay, what can I do better? You know, better? What, my, my goal, and I, I told a father yesterday, and I tell my team all the time, my goal for them two things when they when they graduate. Number one is for them to be upset that they left the team, and number two that they left me. I want them to enjoy playing for the team and for me. Good memories, good memories. Part of the good memories is winning games and, you know, put up a few banners and things like that, which we've done in the past. But it's going to happen. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was uh, the season's over. and um, I like it. I want you be upset that you left me. I want you to have a life of misery thinking about me. <laughs> well, you know what? That's, what? that's what inspired me to write my book a few years ago when I saw there wasn't a lot of, you know, there was some tough relationships I saw between coach and player. And that's what kind of sparked for me to write a book uh, to hopefully help some of those leaders. Well, you know, the, the irony that you see Lead from the heart up, not the neck up. How to create a positive winning culture on the field and in the office. Available on Amazon.com. Amazon.com. And get it on my website, <laughs> ClaudioRelsano.com. I love it. Don't worry, folks. We'll give you that again. That's but right. uh, but I will say this, though. Having coached for many years, I definitely know there are a few players that could not stand me. And there were some players that loved me, and everyone else was just And some like, producers who can't stand yeah, you either, right? And as always, we want to welcome Joe Giuseppe, also known as Joey Bananas Hale. Joe, how are you, buddy? <laughs> Thumbs up. All right, folks. Listen, we got a great guest. And in, in fact, as I like to say, the guest is very apropos because Veterans Day we just celebrated. And uh, our guest is a retired Air Force. He's going to talk about his career. But he's also going to talk about something near and dear to our hearts because yes. we have some family and our roots kind of originated in Calabria, and he's a big researcher in that. So without further ado, I would like to welcome Pete Belmonte. Pete, how are you? I'm doing fine, Steve. I'm doing fine. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate oh, it. No, glad to have you on. And again, a shout-out to Philly Rich, who's done some fantastic. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Philly's a good guy. Rich has been just doing some fantastic introductions, and I appreciate it because he's very, you know, Claudia and I, we do this show to celebrate the culture. But there are, and I'm going to call them unsung heroes, because you know what? I just, so I just did a podcast today um, with a guy who grew up in the same neighborhood I did. And we talked about, you know, I said, all these people, oh, they're proud to be Italian. They're proud to be Italian. I said, but you know what? What do they do? And it's not like you've got to run around every day and do something. But he asked me a, a good question. He said, well, do you speak Italian? And I said, you know, I learned a little bit. I learned it later in life. And I'm not saying that you've got to speak Italian to be true Italian. But, you know, but I do think knowing some words is not a bad idea. It's culture. You know, knowing, we talk about this. Know where where's your, your family right, from. Right, where's your yeah. family from? We talk about these things. And a lot of people say, I'm proud to be Italian. Where's your family from? Uh, Italy. Well, you know? So, Pete, again, I appreciate you coming on the show because I know that after talking to you and Rich, that you're one of those folks that, you know, you love your culture. You do a lot of research into it. You stay very, very tuned in 
and, and making sure that history is not lost. Because I believe without history, we don't know where we come from. If we don't know where we come from, we don't know why we are the way we are. And if we don't know who we are, then we don't know where we're supposed to be. So again, Pete, thank you very much for coming. And with that being said, I've got to ask the million dollar question. You're obviously Italian. Where's your family from, Pete? <laughs> well, I am glad you asked, Steve. My family, both sides of my family are from Calabria, from the province of Cosenza, and I can narrow it down. Uh, both sides are from Marano Marzato, Provincia de Cosenza. And uh, so I'm very proud of that. And, and you know, you're talking about history. That's why every day that goes by, my passion for finding out about Calabrian American history and Southern Italian history in general uh, just grows and grows. So I'm, I'm immersed in it, and I love it. And uh, it's something you talk about, what are you doing? And I heard one of your interviews with Frankie DiPiero, same kind of thing. What, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm trying to at least get some of this out there, putting it in print and doing things like this, just so some people are aware of the contributions. Um, in my case, I'm talking specifically American history, military history uh, that Southern Italians and Calabrians made to our country. You know, uh, Pete, we're not too far away from each other. My my mom and dad, my mom is from Nocera Terinesa, and my dad was from uh, Falerna. So I don't know how yes. far, it can't be that far from you. No, I don't think so. I, yeah. It's a lot of mountains, so on foot it's probably pretty far, but yeah, in right, the old days. But, right. yeah. You know what, though, beautiful, I was there in 80, and um, uh-huh. I, I, I'm going to go back one of these days, I keep saying that, but what a beautiful place. But not only that, but I think our food from Calabria Yes, but from the South, yes, but from our, our food from Calabria is much better than everybody else. Maybe I'm being a little biased, but it's much better. <laughs> well, I agree. <laughs> the truth is not biased, Claudio. <laughs> oh, you, you, you know what, though, Pete, real quick, even, but yeah. even inside of Calabria, when we made Italian uh, sausage, right? Right. F- when my mom and dad are from uh, Falerna and Nocera, we, uh, we will use um, pork intestines. Where people, Have you ever heard of Jitseria? Uh, not, not, no, no. Okay. I they used, um, I well, want the, the city, the city of Gitsuri, yes. Yeah. They used, I think, uh, beef, I think. They don't, I don't yeah. think they use fennel. We use fennel. Now the North, obviously they use black pepper, which is a swear word in, in yeah. Calabria. But even, yeah. and even the, the, the dialect from Gitsuri, uh, Nucera and, and Falerna is, is much different. And we're not... Jeez, I forgot how far it was, but it's not that far away from each other. But the dialect was a little bit different. Some words were pronounced differently, I should say. Yeah, and as a kid, I remember making the sausages, and we we would use the pork, the standina. Standina, that's right. Uh, Yeah, and uh, no, and fennel, yes, fennel, and uh, and the old folks would just grab a handful of this and that and scatter it through. Never Uh, a recipe. uh, Yeah, never a recipe, (laughs) and it always tastes the same. Oh, it's great! I miss it. I miss it. Yeah. Now, Pete, did your did your did your parents come over, or, or was it your grandparents that came no, over? No, uh, if I can, I, I want to give Please. a little narrative. Absolutely. Because I thought about this. I have two kind of two experiences. One is my what I experienced growing up. I kind of perceived without getting overly psychological. My perceived feeling. I was a. I I grew up in in the sixties and seventies. I felt I was a second and third generation American of Italian ancestry. All four of my grandparents came over from Italy. I knew my both of my grandfathers came before World War One. My maternal grandfather would make many trips back and forth, and so my mother was actually born in Italy. And then World War II broke out, and my grandfather got stuck, or not stuck, he was in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and my mother was in Italy, and so they remained until after World War II, sorry, after World War II, uh, then my mother and grandmother came over. It was only, and that was kind of my feeling. I, I was felt, oh, okay, I'm 
really Italian, you know, my, my grandparents and all. But as I got older, I started studying more and learning more, and I found out, you know, two of my great-grandfathers had come over in the 1890s. Uh, my maternal great-grandfather actually came over in 1891, became a citizen, an American citizen in the 1890s, and used his passport to bring his kids back and forth. You know, he kept doing trips. I even found out that, that on my, my mother's side, the Sicilia family from Marano Marcasato were among the earliest. They came in 1880 to Chicago. So they were part of the early, the beginnings of the, of the sort of the chain migration and, and the dawn of the mass migration from the South. And, and these are the things I didn't know. And I kept studying. And the more I studied, I found so many that came in the 1880s, 1890s, these are brothers, sisters, cousins, that I kind of lost, <laughs> lost track of everything. Here, and I, I say this just to illustrate you know, I, I'm thinking, okay, I'm, you know, my family really is a part of American history from, you know, World War II onwards or whatever, World War One onwards. But really, it reaches further back, and it's just kind of interesting to me. And nobody, you know, unless I dug, nobody, I wouldn't have known it. No one, you know, would have would have told me this. Or, but but it was interesting to find that out. And so I kind of, that's kind of the sort of long answer to a simple question. I feel like I'm like a second or third generation, but really, it, it reaches back kind of far. And it was very interesting to discover those things. Now let me ask you though, but I, I don't, actually I don't think that's crazy because I I think uh, I think the interesting point to that though is that people people do see the early 20th century as they say oh, that's that was the big migration, but we forget not only was there a lot of movement from Italy to the United States in the 1800s. I mean that was when the I mean the lynching in in the South was it uh, Louisiana or Mississippi? I always forget yeah. which one. Louisiana. You know that happened yeah, in the 1800s, right? They were treated yep. so badly. So there were already Italians coming over. I mean, they almost went to war over it. And so yeah. there, there was a large migration. But again, it was going from the south to the U.S. south. Um, I don't know how prevalent it was as far as migrating to the northern cities. I mean, we were just kind of hitting in the Industrial Revolution. Wherever they needed, for lack of a better term, unskilled laborers, that's where mm -hmm. people went. And they were just either jammed into mines, jammed into factories, or jammed into, you know, farms. But, you know— yeah. What, what was the impetus for you for you kind of doing this research? Like curiosity or? Really, it was kind of both. I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm a military historian. Uh, my area of interest is World War One, and a little bit broader than that is American military history from about the 1880s through World War One, sort of the Indian Wars, if you, the so-called Indian Wars through World War One, and I married that. I can marry that now with uh, studying. Calabrians and, and, and Southern Italians. So I, I want to, you know, focus in on those because when I first became interested in the Civil War as a, as a young, as a teenager, really, I was so involved, so immersed in that. And I wanted to find out, gee, what about the Italians? I knew that there weren't many Italians in America at that time. I knew that, but I'm like, well, surely we're some, you know. And so anything I could find, any little bit I could find, and the things I could find were about the, the Northern educated men like Luigi Palma di Cesnola, who earned the Medal of Honor, Carlo de Rudio, who served in the Civil War and later achieved somewhat of a different fame in, in, with Custer's uh, 7th Cavalry. These are men were, de, de Rudio was actually nobility. These are educated men and what have you. And, and okay, and I never dreamed that there were, as I found more than 140 Southern Italians that served in the Civil War. And I, I count Southern Italians, these are men that were born in the Kingdom of Naples, the Kingdom of Sicily, or in the, from 1816 on, Kingdom of the Two Sicilies. And so really that's kind of what, what drove me is to find out more and dig more on these. And then, of course, I've, I've got my separate category for my beloved Calabresi, you know. But uh, and, and that kept me going, and I found out I found men who 
the recruiting practices for the Navy, where the warships docking in Messina or Palermo or Naples could would could and would hire uh, or enlist natives who may maybe uh, were musicians, a lot of musicians, or just deckhands. Uh, they were already sailors or living in Palermo or what have you, so they would enlist and maybe they'd come to the United States and continue re-enlist, or maybe they'd just get discharged back in, in Palermo or Naples or what have you. It was just fascinating to, to learn about these things. Pete, when I was a kid, I always tell the story. We would be watching a program, and my dad would wait till the credits at the end of the show. And yeah. that guy's Italian. The writer's Italian. The producer. Or in 69, I was four and a half, five, when Nino Benvenuti fought Emil Griffin. I never seen my mom get excited like that. And <laughs> but, but, you know, all I heard about was Marciano and Graziano and Benvenuti and so on and so forth. But the Italian culture, the Italian... Everything was stressed in my life. Uh, maybe that's not the right word. It, it was just, it was constantly mentioned to me, and, and I do that with my daughter now. Did your family stress that when you were growing up, and do you pass that on to your family? Because it's kind of getting lost, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree it's getting lost. Um, it was stressed, but it wasn't, uh, I would say it was not heavily stressed. Because of the fact that my mother's family, uh, part of them, of course, were, were still kind of more recent immigrants. There was a lot that came in, in the 40s and 50s. So it, when we visited that side of the family, which was very nearby, I, I picked up more on that. On my, my father's side, it was less so. We were all born in America and, and even the old folks, you know. But there was always this pride. There was always a discussion. Is he part Italian? Is he Italian? Look, yeah, like you said, <laughs> look at that. That guy's Italian, you know. Uh, you know, all the baseball players, of course, Ron Santo was a, a Ross, Chicago Cubs yeah, fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I heard you talk about Carmen Fanzone. <laughs> Very good, that, yeah, Carmen Fanzone. So that, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you know, and so there was always that kind of recognition, and I always kind of took pride in that. And I try to pass that on to my kids. Maybe, uh, you know, they see me constantly uh, fussing about, you know, these, these research on these uh, obscure Italian-Americans that have been dead for a century. And so they're, they're slowly picking up on it. I'm teaching my grandkids at least the – sort of the gestures that, you know, and, and uh, got my grandson already, you know, doing it, you know, okay, close the fire, you know. Yeah. Uh, but so, you know yeah. the, the thing that bothers me, though, is what Steve brought up at the beginning. When you ask somebody, because, you know, obviously I'll get players who are Italian or I'll run into somebody who's, oh, I'm always curious. Like I asked Steve, where's Pete from? Calabria. Right away I thought about my family and that's where all my family's from. So I'll ask a kid, so you're Italian. Yeah, where's your family from? Oh, I don't know, Italy. Yeah, I know that, but yeah. where? I'm not sure, and it gets lost. And again, I'm 59. I'm not ancient, but my parents pounded that in my head, uh, and I know my. Fa- I don't have to go to those. What do they call those things to get your ancestry? Ancestry. Like I know yeah. everything. I mean, I really do, yeah. and and I remember it. And now my daughter knows it. And I, I I'm, unfortunately, I think it's starting to get weaker, uh, which I don't like. Yeah, I think you're right, and I, and I I do have to re-energize and pass that on. Uh, fortunately, they're going to have a bunch of stuff left behind that they can, uh, you know, they'll be able to see. But I, I remember that also. My mother saying, "Marano Marcasato, Provincia de Cosenza." You know, I mean, it was you knew exactly where your family was from. Yeah, yeah. Now, Pete, let me ask you because uh, you obviously came up with a, a passion for military history. Is that what? Uh, kind of got you to join the Air Force, because I want to talk real quick, especially because we just passed Veterans Day. You were in the Air Force, you served, what'd you do? Tell me about that. Yeah, and, and that is, uh, I enjoyed military history, and really that is what, what started me. Uh, I looked to see where I could enlist, you know, when I was in high school, I wanted to enlist. I did, I enlisted in the Air Force, 
Uh, I was initially a disbursement accounting specialist, which is a pay clerk. And it, it wasn't long before I thought, you know, I think it would be better for me. I think I would enjoy it more if I was an officer. So after a couple of years, I applied for and received an ROTC scholarship to uh, Purdue University, Go Boilers, and uh, graduated and became, was commissioned to second lieutenant, and I was, then went to nav school, navigator. I was a KC-135 navigator. So uh, I enjoyed my service. Uh, all told, a couple of years enlisted and about 18 as an officer, 20 years and 19 days. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a great deal. I enjoyed especially flying. It's funny you said a 20 years, 18 days, because I think that's about what I did. As soon as I was eligible yeah. to retire, that paperwork went in, <laughs> and I was like, and I'm out of here. And I retired at the ripe old age of 38, so I'm like you. I started as an enlisted, <laughs> then did my degree at night, and then I got out for a hot minute to finish my degree and went back in as an officer, because you're right. There's nothing – look, I'm going to say it. I don't care what anybody says. There's nothing easier than being an Air Force officer. That's the – I loved it. Proud to say it. I don't care. You can make fun of me. Yes, I do like air conditioning. No, I don't want to sleep in a tent. So I'm not ashamed of it. But uh, no, no, no. no but exactly. I, so let me ask you now. Let's kind of like jump in now because you've got a bunch of books written about your kind of collaborative research. Let's start with that. You know, what was the first book you wrote? Why'd you write it? And how hard was the research for it? Uh, the first book I wrote was Italian Americans of World War II from Arcadia. Dominic Candeloro, who's, who's a uh, big proponent of Italian-American is, uh, history and what have you in Chicago, kind of introduced me to Arcadia and suggested I write something about you know, Italian history, Italian-American history. So I went with that. And what I did was I interviewed, I got online, this is the early days, this is like 90, late 90s. I got online and anything, anytime, any old veterans group that I could find an Italian name, right, looking through an Italian name, I would, if they had an email, I would send an email. If they had a regular uh, mail or whatever, I would contact them and interview them via mail, email, or phone, and that produced that book. And they, those guys were great. They unstintingly sent me photographs. They didn't know who I was. They sent me pictures, pictures of stuff, you know. So that was a great. Um, that was my first book. Then after that, I wrote some not Italian-specific books about World War One and a 26th. Anyway, it doesn't matter. They were about World War One and they were not Italian-specific. But then I, I really got immersed in the Calabrians, and I, I wanted to study that. I wanted to. I found some family members that were from Kenosha, Wisconsin, that served in the military during World War One, and I wanted to find out more about them. So I dove into that. I started collecting names. I've got thousands of names of Calabrians that served in the U.S. military in, in World War One. Then I, I wrote about the ones who served in the 19th century, which a few of the books I'm very, very pleased with. I'm, I'm pleased with. I'll, I'll go even further back. I'll go to. My single Calabrian uh, Civil War veteran, and that's Father Leo Rizzo, who served uh, Leo Rizzo, who served as a, a chaplain in the Ninth Connecticut Infantry Regiment for a few months in 1864. I wrote a complete, about as complete a biography as, as anyone's going to be able to com- cobble together about Leo, and I'm very pleased with that because it's, it was it, here's something that was unknown, although his name, and I want to cite Giovanni Schiavo here, who was a pioneer Italian-American historian. His name does appear in some of Schiavo's works. I've really, in my opinion, uh, written kind of about anything, about as much as you can about Leo, and it's really fast to me. He had a brief but fascinating Civil War career. And then I went into, uh, you know, again, using a lot of online records, I'm able to find guys who served in, uh, you know, I got Frank Raimondo or Raimonto or Raimonti, depending upon what you're looking at, uh, who was from Lungro, Cosenza, and he enlisted in the 7th Cavalry right after, well, right after, nine years after uh, the, the Little Bighorn 
disaster, uh, depending how you look at it, right? Um, <laughs> Too sure. And he was recruited. Yeah, he was recruited by uh, Carlo DiRudio, who was the the man I referred to earlier. But you know, I, I found these things, and I was just fascinated by them. And I, I've written about that. I've written about uh, the collaborative in World War One, and I've written uh, a book that I I since pulled off the off publication because I want to add more to it, but it was Calabrian's really up to World War One who served a lot of more in the Navy or musicians or, or what have you. But yeah, that's uh, that's what I'm really basically doing now and, and studying that and also getting back to the Civil War, trying to find a lot of, there were a lot of Sicilians and Neapolitans that I'm, that I'm researching. So how are you, like what's what's the starting point? Like let's just say hypothetically, so you know what, I want to find out all the Italians from Calabria that you know were in the Navy and the Civil War. How do you go and filter that data out? Unless they're digitized now, otherwise it's, you know, best you've got a sheet of paper that says they came over on the SS Napoli, you know, in 1847. Yeah. I mean, how are you finding, how are you getting the starting point to, to even get to these names? There are a bunch of, uh, a lot of these are digitized, and it's on uh, Ancestry.com and Fold3.com. Both are pay uh, subscriptions. So yeah. you have I've to used Ancestry pay, for sure. Know. I never heard the other one. Yeah. And uh, for example, they had navy, navy enlistment documents. So I, you know, you, you got to do the search. You know, I put in Calabria, I put in Cosenza, I put in, you know, all these different things. Usually, it's just under Italy. And then sometimes, if you find something that looks promising, you, you delve further. You look at other. You look under that name because there's a lot. I mean, a lot that have just Italy as as a place of birth, which is nice, but it's not helpful, right? I want to narrow it down. I, the risk of being too parochial. I'm basically looking for Calabrese and, and Southern Italians. So then you use other documents, use other search methods to try to find to confirm where that person was born. And uh, for the Civil War, a lot of times, you know, I put in uh, Sicily for a place of birth, and then it'll come up. That and then is that man from Sicily itself, or is it from the Kingdom of Two Sicilies? And you got to do further further research. But it's painstaking, and you're you're at the mercy of. One, the original document that was created, that whoever wrote it down, the Navy or Army clerk, had to figure out what the guy was trying to tell him and write the name down as best he could. Then whenever that record got copied again, it had to be written down. And, and when it got transcribed and then digitized, it had to be deciphered by somebody trying to read it. So it's, it's a chore, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's work, and it's kind of mind-numbing, but I, I enjoy doing most of it. We're going to take a little break, but I want to come back because I want to talk about the actual research because I'll tell you what, this applies to a lot of folks who are trying to do, for example, their citizenship, and they've got to go back and search a lot of these documents. We're going to talk about maybe, I don't want to call it best practices, but let's let's kind of elaborate more on this because there are a lot of people that are doing ancestry research mm -hmm. for a lot of different reasons. Primarily, it's for citizenship. Sometimes it's just for curiosity or to find out if they're related to a rich relative, you know, from the kingdom of. Right. But we're going to be right back. So again, folks, we're going to come right back with Pete Belmonte. But in the meantime, enjoy this quick break. If you miss our show on WKHB Radio Pittsburgh on 620 AM and 102.1 FM on Thursdays from 5 to 6, you can always check us out on www.italianimpactweekly.com on our archives. We've had such great guests as Mario Andretti, Vince Papali, Vince Ferragamo, and Chris Corciani, and now Pete Belmonte. And also our other show that Steve and I do, Talking Business and Life with Claudio Rosano and Steve Mancini, you can check out that show 
on crsmmedia.com. We've had such great guests as Jerry Cooney, the former uh, boxing, well, he's still a boxing legend. And we have some other great boxers, boxing champions, David Diaz and uh, Donnie Lalonde. Both, uh, David was a WBC lightweight uh, boxing champion. Donnie Lalonde was light heavyweight champ. So they'll have some interesting takes on business and life. And um, also, if you're looking to host a podcast, get in touch with Steve and I under the umbrella of Empire Media Ventures. We can certainly help you get started on your podcast career. Send us an email at questions at italianimpactweekly.com. We write back with Pete Belmonte. You are invited to join us for a special needs seminar to learn more about the financial services and fraternal benefits offered by the Knights of Columbus. That's November 18th at Shadow Lakes Country Club. For more information, you can reach out to Chris Gonzalez at 412-605-9074. Thanks to Greater Pittsburgh Travel. For any of your travel needs, let Tom and the team at Greater Pittsburgh Travel know and they'll take care of you. For more information, call 412-331-2244 or visit their website at www.greaterpittsburghtravel.com. For all of your plumbing needs, be sure to try Pellucci Plumbing. Nick and the team have decades of experience and will get you back up and running. For more information, call Pellucci Plumbing at 412-782-5050. And we want to thank the Calabria Club of Pittsburgh. If you're interested in learning more, you can find their contact information on Facebook at Calabria Club of Pittsburgh. Again, thanks Domenica and the team at the Calabria Club of Pittsburgh for your support. And we want to thank La Scuola d'Italia Galileo Galilei, the only nonprofit school in Pittsburgh endorsed by the Italian consulate. If you're interested in learning Italian or have your children being immersed in the Italian culture and language, be sure to give them a call at 412-404-7070. That's La Scuola d'Italia Galileo Galilei. All right, welcome back. And Pete, again, appreciate you taking some time out. Now, before we went on the break, we were mentioning how, you know, your painstaking labor to go out and find these names. And we're not talking dozens. We're probably talking hundreds, maybe even thousands. Is that a fair statement that you had to go dig through? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> I take it. I take yeah. it by your pause and your short answer that that was not a joy. Now you mentioned a couple of resources, but I've also noticed that a lot of the Italian sites themselves are starting to offer online archives that you can go search through them. Obviously, a lot of it's in Italian. Do you leverage any of those uh, from Italy itself, where they've now started to digitize the old birth records and, and uh, you know uh, immigration records? Yes, I've. Uh, I start when I first started. I had to go to the uh, Latter Day Saints Church and order the microfilms of Murano. You know, they microfilmed the births and death records of Murano Marcasato, along with almost every other Italian village, all the way back to 1809. And that's how I started. And I didn't know what I was doing. It was frustrating because I so craved this info, but I couldn't read it. It was small. I was, you know, it just was terrible. Anyway, I, I was able to get information. That was when I was looking at just my family. Now a lot of this stuff is digitized, um, even those. you can, uh, And I don't use those as much, although I have asked somebody who is a little more fluent and, and um, able to, to do that to help me translate some things. I did that with Father Leo Rizzo. I asked somebody, please help me with his birth record in 1830 in, in Saracena, Cosenza. And they were able to help me find that and get that. Um, but yeah, you can do that. You can absolutely, uh, if you know, for example... Uh, where your ancestor was born and a date would be helpful. You could probably narrow that down. Now, if it was a big city, Cosenza or Palermo or Naples, boy, it's going to be a little more tough. There might be a million Luigi Belmonte, well, maybe a lot of Luigi Belmontes in Naples in 1850 or what have you. So it's going to be a little more difficult. 
but that's a starting point. And if you know, for example, in, in America, if you want to look, again, you got have a name and an approximate date of birth. The more information you have, the better, right, where they lived, what have you. And you put that in a search, and it'll get you a bunch of things. And, and then you have to kind of look through that to see, is this the right man or woman I'm looking for? Again, you know, I looked for Luigi Belmonte, 1893, well, or three or four in that in that village, you know, like cousins or whoever they were. That, but I got to figure the right one. You know, you got to narrow it down to get the right one. Uh, but yeah, and that's the way to do that. And you could get passport records uh, from Ancestry, which are very helpful. Census records, almost you know, any kind of record really that that they were able to execute 100, 100 or so years ago would be available, and you'd be able to look at it. How hard was it? I, I'm sure you know this. For example, my last name is Rosano, but the original name was S-O-N-N-I, Soenni. When my grandfather went to Ellis Island, they just get, somehow they came up with the name that they came up with. Did that make your research that much harder? Not for me. Uh, for my personal family, no. Everybody seemed to retain the correct spelling and all that. Um, but in my research for what I'm doing, you know, for, for others, it can get a little confusing. I'm thinking of, uh, of Giuseppe Romolo or Romolo or Romulo, mm-hmm. you know, from northern, uh, the northern province of Cosenza, uh, who served in 1880 in the Navy, in the Army first and then in the Navy. And in fact, his name is, is reversed, Romolo Giuseppe, because that's a lot of times how the Italians, I don't even, until recently, sometimes they would do that, Belmonte Peter, you know. They would write that sort of an official way, and it got, you know, sucked into the official records in America as that, you know, that way. So as long as you're aware of these things, alternate spellings, and again, you're at the mercy of how somebody wrote it down, how they heard it, how somebody exactly. transcribed it. Yeah, you've got to be kind of creative. But mine was totally different. So yeah. my grandfather yeah. was the first Relsano, and... So they changed yeah. ours, but my grandfather actually changed it back to the correct spelling. So I was lucky because I had to, because funny, because I had to do, it was, it's Mancini, Mancini, but it's C-I-N-I. But when they came over, they said, oh, Mancini, E, and they put an E there. Mm. But my grandfather was like, "Uh uh-uh, Chini with an I. (laughs) Well, Boom Boom Mancini was an O, Mancino. So he's not a real Mancini? No. I don't know if they ever changed it. Respect this guy. We'll talk about we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that offline. But Pete, I'm going to talk about something. So you know, you've been doing a lot of research, and you've got a lot of insight into a lot of folks that came over. And by the way, I'm always I'm always fascinated to the the stories of these people because you know when you read something from say 150 years ago, it's easy to just see it as a as a story. But you're like, man, this this person lived. They walked, they did this, they got on a boat, and they sailed over. And it's not just Italians. It's, you know, anybody from Europe, South, wherever. They, but they, mm-hmm. they, they lived this stuff, you know, into the unknown, you know, and especially back then. And look, you and I are retired military. We know how unsafe even just transport in the military was 100, 150 years ago, yet alone, you know, migrating from another country, not speaking the language. You're now in a foreign military. You know, you're not a native language speaker. You know, you're on either wood boats or, or early, you know, maybe some steel, you know, some steel plated stuff, but they're still, you know, they're still sailed vessels in the late 1800s. But all of this insanity is just going on. These people are just in the middle of it. You know, this is before, you know, World War One, and, and again, what you're talking about, and mm-hmm. you're going off to World War One. Let me ask you, what were some of the biggest surprises you learned? Wow, I've, I've learned quite a bit. I learned that a lot, a lot of these men I'm researching were musicians, and they applied for Navy pensions, 
uh, being in the, in the Marines or the Navy. They apply for Navy pension. A lot of them were suffering from hernias, right? Well, does that make sense, I guess, right? A music- I'm not a musician, but you blow and blow and blow on a horn, something's got to give at some point, I guess. But um, so, and I learned a lot of these men, what's fascinating to me is a lot of these men you know, were early immigrants, probably couldn't speak English very well, almost certainly couldn't when they enlisted. And then they're struggling in later years. I'm talking about pension records I'm looking at. And it's kind of poignant as you're reading them. You know, they're talking about, I can't, I, I, I'm no longer able to perform any kind of manual labor. This and that happened to me. And that's, it's, and it's, it's a wonder that some of these people were even able. And you look at the, the things. Well, you didn't complete this form correct. This is in the 1880s, 1890s. Please submit, resubmit this. Please provide documentation of this. Please, can you, do you have a copy of your marriage license? You know, all this stuff. And these poor guys are having to do this uh, so that they can get a pension for a few dollars a month, which, of course, was substantial back then and much needed for many of them, I'm sure. And sometimes you, you can find stories like, well, here, this is something interesting. The, the first American serviceman to die in World War I was John Isidore Eopolucci, who was a, an American, born in America, but his father, his uh, grandfather had come from Naples. And he was torpedoed. He was a, a, a Navy member of a civilian on a civilian vessel that was torpedoed just before the U.S. entered World War One, and he died. But he's credited with being the first serviceman uh, to die in World. Anyway, he his grandfather was Antonio Eapolucci, who uh, enlisted back in Naples back in like 1850s, and was a, a musician and came and served. He served in the Marine Corps band after serving the Navy, and then he suffered from exposure, and he came up with a uh, prostate ailment. We won't get into all that, but I mean, he and you read the record, and you're like, wow, I cannot believe the treatment that these poor guys underwent. <laughs> but uh, and, and two of, and I'm kind of getting garbled here, but two of Antonio's sons served in the Marines. One of them died while serving in the Marine Corps. And another one was the first man, or not the first man, was uh, killed in action in World War One. So here you have like a three generation that nobody, I mean, it's a, a story I uncovered, really. Some of that stuff is known, obviously, but the connection from this early immigrant Antonio Eapolucci to the first American serviceman killed in World War One was something I uncovered. And it's just, it's fascinating to me to, uh, to be able to look at that and look at these records and, and piece it all together. Is there... At, if there is at all, a difference between the people from Calabria and the other parts of Italy that you studied? You know, I, I, culturally, probably it's, it's, it's similar. Uh, I don't know. I haven't, um, I haven't delved into the actual way of life. I imagine all, it's a southern Italian thing. I think, I think it's definitely, definitely distinct from the northern Italians. Very. And from what I've been able to discern... The early immigrants, and again, I'm talking about the, the war, the military veterans. The early ones were not the same ones that came over in the 1880s, 1890s. My ancestors were basically, again, I use the like you did, quote, unskilled laborers, whereas the earlier ones maybe were musicians, a sailor who that's a definitely a skill, right, to be able to, to work on a, a sailing ship of those days. Or some of them were barbers. I've found some were barbers, some were um, uh, tailors, and things like this. So those are the earlier ones that came over. A little bit different than the, than the later, what we call maybe peasants, that were able to come over. And I don't know to what degree these early men 
instituted the court of the chain migration that we can definitely see from the 1880s, 1890s, early 1900s, where you brought over your brother, your sister, your daughter, your son-in-law, you know, and entire families took several years to transplant. Um, I don't, I don't know if that answers your question, but it's, it, it is a fascinating thing to see that kind of the, the two different immigrant groups, the the earlier one and the later one that came. No, they were out of musicians, so nobody was left with the uh, with the with the laborers. That's right. That's <laughs> There's right. some weird that's truth right. to that. But uh, by the way, the other thing that's funny that you've mentioned a few times is, I think a lot of people don't really appreciate that Italy didn't become a country, Italy until the mid late mid, mid I want to say eighteen sixty something. Correct? It was, yeah, yeah, eighteen sixty one, and then I think there were still like some of the papal states. Right. That, Right, but basically by 1861 it was unified. for the most part it was unified. But the point though is is that just because you're unified, you might be unified in name. But anybody coming over before that was coming from kingdom up, you know. And I think people don't understand right. that. But even the people coming shortly thereafter, they were still. I mean, yeah, there's a central government, but it's still you're pretty much you know how much of your how much of your day to day life has really changed. Your language hasn't changed, and that's another thing people think that these are dialects. They're not dialects right. their languages um, because they were different countries for the longest time and they had influence i watched funny that you've you've mentioned sicily a few times i watched a, a great youtube video where they had somebody who spoke arabic and somebody who spoke sicilian and they would say a word in sicilian and a word in arabic and you would find out wow they're very similar because again the influence when they were occupied by the arabs for for the longest yeah. time and in calabria is kind of the same boat you know you had Spanish influence, you still have Greek areas, and they still have areas yeah. where they still speak Greek in Calabria. But that influence yeah. Yeah. is still there, and it was there when these people left. So to your point, you, you know, depending on where you came from in Calabria, you probably weren't speaking Italian. You were either speaking yeah, Calabria, you weren't even speaking Greek. You know, uh, I think there's even, um, what's one of the Slavic languages that's down in Calabria? Um, well, there's Abresh is there. That's uh, sort of an Albanian yeah, um, yeah. They, have, they have whole little settlements in Calabria that, that are fresh. That's what they speak. Yeah, and so a lot of this, I mean, it's a shame. A lot of it's just simply dying out. But this is, yeah. but this is the importance of the historical aspects of all this because you are preserving culture. I mean, if you don't have your history documented, then somebody can come along and rewrite it for you. Kind of like what yeah. we do in this country, um, but we'll yeah. take that for another exactly. day. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what we're doing. We're tearing things down so that we can build up what we want, and people are so ignorant of the truth that, you know, you could tell them anything. Like, oh, my God, that's terrible. Yeah. I didn't know that we did that in the United States. Well, we didn't. Yeah. But you don't know yeah. what we really did, so I can tell you anything. You know, I can yeah. tell all the buildings Absolutely. used to be painted orange in the early 70s. Yeah. Really? Yeah, that's why there's none left. But, yeah, they say, oh, okay, but you don't know that, so you just agree with it because, you know, you're, uh, you know. Yeah. We, you know, so... And that, that reminds me of, I wrote an article about a, a Confederate soldier from Palermo, he's actually from Palermo, and he, and he moved to Alabama, and he served in the Confederate Army in the Civil War, and I was able to get a photograph, I got in contact with, I think, the man's great-granddaughter, and I asked, please, can I use this picture for the article, blah, 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 and she said, yes, and if you write the article, please, you know, make sure you don't, you know, he's just serving, you know, blah, blah, because he was worried, she was worried about that very thing, right. that I'm going to that I'm going to vilify the man just because he's a Confederate, was a Confederate soldier. That's not fair, and it's not what I'm about. I'm a historian portraying what happened. I'm not, you know, yes, we understand slavery was wrong, but I'm not delving into all these aspects. 
place. She was concerned about that, and that's I think again that's a whole topic for another right. no. another show. It's but, certainly uh, again, but you know the funny thing is, is there are people that simply can't even have that conversation. They cannot simply yeah. have that. Look, there are, there were good people even on the wrong side, and yeah. there were bad people yeah. on the right side. You know, and I yeah, could, we could and we could probably talk some historical examples from the Civil War and talk about some of the bad people that were on the good side and some of the things. And I, you know, we won't go into that. We won't go into Sherman. You know, we won't go into no. the POW camps <laughs> up in Illinois. You know, no. to, to sit there and say that you know, but again, history is history. You can yes. you can yeah. rewrite it, but you you're not then you're you're just writing fiction at that point. You write history yeah. as it yeah. was objectively, and it is what it is. You learn from it. You take yeah. away from it. But if you change it then you're just writing a story and it's no longer history so yeah yeah and i'm and i'm not really attuned to the local or the, the contemporary italian uh i guess politics or whatever but i get the feeling you could still get a good argument about whether you know that the kingdom of the two sicilies should still be <laughs> oh. around you know there, there's um, there, there no it's funny because there are still people that is, say i'm sicilian i'm not italian i mean it's yeah. still yeah. there yeah that, that's kind of yeah. what I meant about the the question about the difference. What's different about Calabria and, and uh, Sicily? But um, now, were you there? And your thoughts when you were there? I uh, visited Italy twice. First was a crew member of the KC-135. We stopped in at Sigonella mm-hmm. uh, Naval Air Station in, in uh, Sicily uh, just for a short while. I thought, oh, this is nice. There's Mount Etna, and uh, here we go. And I then left. Then I said, you know, I've always, always wanted to go back to Murano Marcasato. So I, I finally, in the mid-90s, I, I got my mother and my wife, and we went. And uh, as soon as I got there, it was like home. It was, a, I don't know how to describe it. A few people uh, have said that to feeling. us. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Very, very, and I looked around at the village. And now, that said, I did have cousins who used to live in the United States who went back and opened up a pizzeria and a, uh, a gelateria and all that. But... And they came and met me, and they were very gracious to host me. But I looked around, and and there were people, you know, there, you look, and half of the I'm related to most of the people, I'm sure. And you, you looked at tombstone, and these are these are half of the stuff was in English because these were you know repatriated people who came back. And but it was just it was it was great. I enjoyed it. People showed me around. They showed me my great grandmother's house and and all that stuff. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more even than going up to Rome and Naples. You know, it's hard to beat. The Coliseum, but uh, I, I enjoyed being in Calabria in that area more, I think, than seeing the other things. But that's that's me. <laughs> well, I was going to you know, it's funny you say that because I, I forgot the term we used. We had somebody on here and we interviewed her earlier. It was a historical memory or something like that. But the point was, when I went back the very first time, I had never been there, but for some reason I felt like I, felt like I, I came home. I, I, I tell people mm-hmm. when they think I'm crazy, I say, I don't know what it is. But there is a connection there. And I almost think, like, maybe we are, maybe there's some DNA or something that's in the ground there that when you go to where your ancestors are from, you you have an instant, like, a connection to the ground or something. But when I went back, it's like, even to make it, like I feel like I'm home. I don't know how to explain yeah. it. You just It just feels right to be there. I, I can't put my finger on it. But let me ask you another question real quick. What are some of the famous families that you discovered out of Calabria? Again, think, keeping in mind it was a kingdom. It was not always yeah. necessarily impoverished, so there may have been some, for lack of a better term, royalty. Any famous folks that emigrated over here and ended up kind of being, you know, for lack of a better Joe Blows and, and serving in the military? Let me think about that. I don't think I've found anybody that would be uh, famous. I know, obviously, there are a lot of Calabrian Americans that are uh, distinguished, you know, that their family came over earlier. But um, I can't think of anybody offhand that... Uh, that were that was famous or 
No, not really. Now, well, there's I, an I like idea for it, your next book, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, I know that, and I believe me, I always think of collaborating. Like I got, I got a list. I got my computer on my lap here. I've got, I got a list of you know, like famous. I got Phil Rizzuto, you know, Leon Panetta. All these Phil Rizzuto from America. Calabria. His family was from. Calabria. I mean, I knew yeah, Tony that, Bennett. Yeah, Tony. Oh, Tony I didn't Bennett, know that. Yeah, that. yeah. yeah. Oh. Let me see. Oh my gosh, there's somebody. Lou Monti, the famous singer. You know, the fight. Sing a lot of those Italian songs. Oh, anyway. <laughs> no, that was interesting to hear. Who, who else? Uh, I didn't. I didn't know about uh, Tony Bennett and um, Phil Rizzuto. Phil Rizzuto, yeah. Phil Rizzuto. Um, let me think here. I can. Uh, there's more. Boy, yeah, you put me on the spot. There's more. <laughs> but uh, it's it, you know that's why I I, I kind of look at those things and uh, was what by was Henry? Where was Henry Mancini's family from? Alaquipa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we call it the Aliquip. <laughs> yeah. That's not Basilicata, is it? No, that's Aliquip. I'm not sure. That's a good question. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe I am related. Uh, how has uh, Calabria changed, grown over the years? I think it's, it's, and again, I'm not by any means an expert on any of this. I think it's uh, along with like Sicily, kind of the impoverished South. And I, I apologize if I'm stepping on anybody's toes. I'm, I'm not an expert on that. They still are struggling with organized crime. The Ndragheta, Ndragheta, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce it. It's almost unpronounceable anyway, which is just as bad and vicious as, as the Sicilian Mafia. So there's still this kind of thing. And part of this is, again, the argument for, well, the, you know, the Kingdom of Two Sicilies probably shouldn't have gone away because it might have been better. You know, and then you'll get arguments on both sides. And again, I don't want to take sides on that because I don't know. But I think it's still struggling. It's probably certainly better than it was. But from what I understand, a lot of people still leave looking for work because it's hard. There's, they're, they probably feel there's nothing for, for younger people to do there. I don't know to what degree they have the dole there, you know, the government dole that, that helps people. But um, uh, I, I think it's still hard there. I think it's still, you know, not, not probably as prosperous as other places in, mm. in Italy. Although I, I, I remember being, I'm sorry, Steve. I, years ago, I said to myself, man, I, I was a kid. Uh, if you got money, this is the place to go. It was relaxing, it's beautiful. beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. you know if you're a is? man, if you're a man, the women worked. The well, men, I, I tell you, I think part of the problem is because, you know what, when we went down there, if you don't, you don't have to be fluent in Italian, but I do think you should know a little bit if you're going to go down there because all those people don't speak English. But, but I would throw this. It's not as easy because it's funny you said better than Rome or Naples. You can get to Rome easily. You can get to Naples. Like if you're a foreigner, a tourist, I think that's part of the problem. They don't have an, a clear-cut infrastructure to get back into those provinces. By the way, my, my grandmother's side's all from Provincia di Cosenza, Menotriccio. 20 minutes overlooks the water. You go down Pietro Paolo. There's a beautiful beach. I went there this year. I went there last year. Beautiful. So why aren't more people down here? And it's because it's not easy to get there. Now, foreigners from Europe will go down, or, or I'm sorry, from northern Italy will go down there. But And you might see the foreigners here and there, but you almost never see Americans down there because they can't, they don't, they, one, they don't even know it's there, or two, it's not super easy to get there. Oh, yeah. And I think that's yeah. what's killing them because the, the landscape is beautiful. You know, the first time I went to Calabria was last year. I've been to Italy a bunch of times. I never went far south. So I go to Calabria last year, and we're taking, um, we, we did a, um, a Pullman, they call it, you know, where they get the, where you rent a driver yeah, yeah, and he drives you, right? Yeah. So we're driving yeah. through the mountains and it's green, it's mountainous, it's beautiful. I'm thinking, I was, I had this picture, it was going to be dry and desert, like it was going to be like more like, you know, yeah. Sicily. But it was beautiful. It was green. 
you know, they've got a, a, a ski resort not too far from where the family. So here you're looking down at this beach where it's 100-something degrees. 15 minutes away is the mountains in the winter. You go skiing. Yeah. It's like, yeah. why would I yeah. want to live anywhere else? <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. this is beautiful. Oh, it's yeah. not expensive, but people don't live there because I think it's because of logistics. And, it, yeah, we took a we had took a train from Rome down to Cosenza, you know, and I didn't know. It was the first time I'd really been anywhere, you know, other than that brief stop in in, in Sicily. And, uh, yeah, it was it was laborious, a long, you know, hot train ride. And, yeah. um, and I can imagine for our ancestors to get from, from there, from the mountain villages up to Naples, you know, and that required money uh, and, and everything. But uh, there again, the hardships of the traveling, you know. And it, oh, by the way, I got one more collaborating american one of my favorites walter lance anybody know walter lance why does that name ring a bell it does ring a bell he's not the guy that has the crackers he's a creator creator of woody woodpecker oh wow (laughs) wow he's from calabria he's italian his family he was born yeah lanza i think it was lanza originally his his family he was born in america in 1890s but his family anyway that's neither here nor there but I just happen to think of him well. No, that's good to know. Yeah, um, yeah. Good. I now. I don't. Do you feel that that, that Calabria was still? I don't, again, I hate to use the word impoverished. But it's broke. But not they're broke. Yeah. No, it's yeah. broke. I mean, I, and there are, are there yeah. beautiful little pretty areas. Absolutely. But I'm telling you, when I went down yeah. there, yeah. and I was we we didn't do tra- we didn't do the train. I did buses. And yeah. when you go through some of those towns, it's they're broke. You can look at it. It's, it's yeah. broke or yeah. ba- a bunch of abandoned buildings. I mean, there's right. there's clearly yeah. not a lot of money down there. And again, yeah. that's the shame of it because it's a very pretty area. But you know, it's going to take more than a few people going down there buying homes to make that, you know, a, a place that you can have like a sustained economy. Peter, I want to ask you one more question before we go. You know, this is yeah. one of the things Claudia and I kind of, uh, you know, chirp on. But uh, you know, instilling values and giving advice. You know, you have kids. What are some things that you're trying to pass on to them, and what kind of advice do you give them that kind of originates? from you know through your adventures through research and studying the italian culture i think uh, one of the biggest things is just to be aware of that history to be aware of what part in a way your dna if you will played in america but also in, in italy we came from a rich people we came from a rich culture i should say and we came here we we transplanted a lot of that here to the united states and in a way we have our own Italian-American culture that's different from Italy's culture. I mean, you could you could look at the arguments when you, if you're, I know, you know, social media is a curse, in my opinion, in a lot of ways, but but you look through some of those things and that's eh, not really, you know, real Italians don't do that, blah, blah, you know, we're arguing back and forth about, you know, that's because you're an Italian-American. Maybe you're a Sicilian-American, maybe you're Calabrese-American. That's different than my Napolitano-American friends, you know. So, be aware of that. Be aware of the culture. I would like to say, you know, and, and Try to remember those things. Try to pass those things on. I think for me and my family, the, the dialect is, or, you know, the Calabrian, like Calabrese, is almost gone. Every time I go see my sister, we try. We try to keep going. And there's still old folks around, but I don't go talk to them because I don't, you know, I don't know exactly who they are. But, you know, we try to keep some of that alive. We're going to make, we're going to learn to, we're going to redo the sausages. You know, we're going to do all that. We're gonna, so things like that, we're going we're gonna to try to pass on. But I, so I just be aware and learn. And, and remember those things, I think. It's important. My, uh, I, I, I'm so yeah. glad that my parents uh, did what they did and taught me about our family history, but uh, more about Italian history. And again, that we did keep an eye on the athletes and the entertainers. And it was a sense of pride and it was fun. It, it wasn't a chore yeah. for me. It was fun. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. fun. Oh, it, yeah. it, it was fun later on rooting for, you know, uh, 
quarterback, Dan Marino or, or, or whoever yeah, the coach right. was, you know, or years ago in the Big East here in Pittsburgh uh, in, in basketball, you know, you had uh, uh, Roly Massimino, P.J. Carlissimo, Rick Patino, and so on and so forth. And it was yeah, fun to yeah. root for those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Now you're never going to look at Woody Woodpecker the same way. Yeah, and that's for sure. That's for uh-huh. sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. He's going to have a red pepper around his neck, maybe. I don't know how I'm going to look now. Pete, I want to thank you very much yeah. for your time. This was fantastic. And uh, I definitely want to follow up with you offline because uh, I think I'm going to end up picking up some of your books. But before we go, let's let everyone know, where can they learn more? Where can they get your books? And how can they go research and find out some more information? Well, uh, thank you very much, and uh, you can contact me. Uh, my uh, Can I give my email? You can do anything you want, buddy. But be that, prepared for the thousands of listeners, extra. Pete. Thousands. Uh, well, sorry, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, belmonteusaf at gmail.com. And if you just look my name on amazon.com, Peter Belmonte, you'll uh, you'll see all my books. And, and uh, I wouldn't be a true capitalist if I didn't say, you know, go there and you know, right. buy everything you possibly can. There you go. But, uh, and really, and seriously, if you're, if you're interested in that, I, I would very much encourage you to pick up some of those, especially with my Calabrese friends or, or uh, you know, that I think would be very beneficial to learn something that, that nobody really knows, nobody's taught, uh, and I have it out there. And I appreciate if anybody wants to look at it or if anybody wants to correspond with me about it, I'd be happy to do that too. Fantastic, Pete. I'm probably going to reach out to you anyways offline because I'm going to have some questions for you. But again, we appreciate mm-hmm. your time. We always appreciate thank folks you, that Pete. tune in. Yep. Okay, thank you, Steve and Claudio. I appreciate it. It's been an honor and a, a great privilege and, and I'm very happy to do this. Thank you Thanks, so much. Pete. Great job. You are invited to join us for a special needs seminar to learn more about the financial services and fraternal benefits offered by the Knights of Columbus. That's November 18th at Shadow Lakes Country Club. For more information, you can reach out to Chris Gonzalez at 412 412- 6059074 And we want to thank La Scuola d'Italia Galileo Galilei, the only nonprofit school in Pittsburgh endorsed by the Italian consulate. If you're interested in learning Italian or have your children being immersed in the Italian culture and language, be sure to give them a call at 412-404-7070. And that's La Scuola d'Italia Galileo Galilei. All right, as always, we want to thank our listeners, and we appreciate you spending time with us, and we hope you enjoyed our show. This podcast, like uh, all of our other shows, is going to be available to you out on ItalianImpactWeekly.com. Again, that's ItalianImpactWeekly.com. And if you really want to see more or hear more of Claudio and Steve, please go out to CRSMMedia.com, where we do our other show, Talking Business and Life. We encourage you to tune in. This is something Claudio and I are very passionate about. It's why we bring these kinds of guests on. We enjoy this. We learn a lot. We inform, and hopefully we've entertained you. Claudio, as always, the last word. Uh, well, we appreciate you listeners and, and uh, being loyal to our show. Thank you. We hope you, as Steve said, enjoy our show. And as always, thank you, Mom and Pop. <laughs>